I just love that reception. Yeah. <clears throat> Some people scream when I get up here. Isn't it wonderful? This morning we have the joy of looking at a new book in the Bible. We've been looking at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John for a while. And this morning we're going to switch gears and begin a series on the book of Philippians. So you can open there and we'll uh, kind of give a survey as we go through this morning. Then Lord willing, start verse by verse um, Next week, I know some of the ladies have been studying, uh, uh, 30, 50, 30, 40, 50 ladies from different times this summer have been studying the book of Philippians, uh, and so we're piggying back on that, and we're going to pursue it a little bit deeper and go through it verse by verse. Uh, a lot of times people come up to me uh, because they know I'm a reader, and I love to read, and uh, they say, hey, David, what you been reading? And I hate the question typically because... Uh, it takes me a lot of time to answer it. I've got to stop and think, uh, uh, that's a good question, what have I been reading? Because I'm typically reading uh, a number of things all at the same time, and so I've got to stop and think, okay, how do I answer the question for the person who's asking it? What book do they really need that I've been reading? Do I need to share with them that kind of thing? And uh, so it kind of throws me for a loop. And so since it throws me for a loop, my number one answer is when you ask me, what have you been reading? And my answer is, well, I've been reading the Bible. Because I have been. And that's what I read most. Uh, there's no book I, I read more. There's no book I read more often. Uh, there's no book I've read more. Um, uh, I started reading the Bible all the way through when Patty and I got married. And so... We've been married 43 years. That helps me keep up with it. I've read all the way through the Bible 43 times, uh, cover to cover. And I don't read the, uh, the index and the contents and that stuff, just the Bible. And so, you know, I've read through it, and I'm always reading through it, and it means a lot to me. But if you've ever been to my office or if you've ever been to my home, you see bookshelf after bookshelf, and you see thousands of other books that I read as well. Uh, I typically, when I go on vacation, I take five to ten books with me, and I love trying to see if I can read five, you know, one or two books a day. I love reading. When I read, what am I looking for? I'm looking for three things, typically. I'm looking for pleasure. Can I just read something for fun? That'd be fun. Can I read something that's going to give me joy? Can I read something that's going to encourage me and build me up? If I can find that book, I want to read it. Second, I read for perspective. I don't want to have my head in the sand and the world's going on around me and I don't know what's happening. So I'm always reading. I read every day uh, five different newscasts or whatever, trying to just keep up with what's going on, seeing what's happening, making sure my foot's on solid ground and I know what's happening around me. So I'm reading for pleasure. I'm reading for perspective. And then thirdly, I'm reading for pursuit. What if I'm, am I pursuing right now? As I pursue things, I want to know what the other experts are doing or have done that have also pursued it. It doesn't matter what it is. If I'm pursuing how to cook a perlo, I'm reading about perlos. If I'm pursuing how to improve my golf scores, I'm reading about how to improve my golf scores. Okay? You pursue things. If I'm pursuing whatever it is, I want to read about it. Those are the three areas that I'm always just kind of looking for. What can I be reading that helps me out with that? As I thought about where to go from 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Philippians just seemed to grip me that it is a book that always fills all three categories for me. 
It's a book of pleasure. It just, it just uh, uh, um, exudes pleasure as you read it. Uh, over and over and over, Paul speaks about joy in this book. It's a great book for pleasure. It's a book of perspective. How in the world can you possibly have joy, Paul, when you're in such terrible circumstances? How do you get that kind of perspective in life so that you're positive when everybody else is not? And then it's also a book of pursuit. Paul is pursuing. He says, I haven't accomplished it yet. He's about to die. And yet he says, I want to attain to a higher place in Christ. And he's pursuing Christ over and over and over through this book. Uh, It excites me to dig deeper into this book with you. And I hope it excites you. I encourage you, dig deep into Philippians. Read it over and over and over. And look for the pleasure God will give you. Look for the perspectives God will give you. And look for how He's going to help you in your current pursuits to accomplish them for His glory as you read through the book of Philippians. So I, wanna, I want us to look, just kind of see some of those areas this morning in survey, and then next week we'll look at the first verse in a lot more depth. But first of all, let's look at Paul's pursuit of godly pleasure. This is the letter of all the other books in the Bible. you got 66 books in the Bible. If you ask any theologian, anybody who's read all 66 books, anybody who's written on any of that, studied any of that, and you ask them, what's the letter of joy? They all say, Philippians. Philippians. Philippians is known in the Bible as the letter of joy. It will bring us pleasure and joy. And I want us to see that as we, we study it. Joy's mentioned 16 times. That's a lot if you only got four chapters. You can do the math. I'm not saying it's four times four, but it's 16 times in the letter of Philippians. And by joy, I mean joy or rejoice in the Lord. That's have joy in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. And he mentions that 16 times in just a few chapters. Joy is something Paul has figured out. Let me share a couple of passages. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth... Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I got joy. I rejoice. In that, I got joy. Paul's given a little thing. He says, you know, Paul, your circumstances is bad. Other people aren't preaching Christ rightly. He said, but Christ is being preached. I don't care if Christ is being preached wrongly or rightly, but Christ is being preached. He said, that's something to rejoice about. What a perspective. He just stops and says, this is not a downer. Let's rejoice. Christ is being preached. Chapter 2, verse 17. Another passage. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. What a perspective. You ever had that as dad or mom? Even if I am tired, even if I'm at the end of my day, even if I don't want to do the next thing, 
I rejoice that I get to for you and for those who are with you. How did Paul get there? That's pretty cool. That he can look at his life and say, I am overjoyed that I can spend and be spent for Christ. Even if it is exhausting me. What an honor and a privilege to do that for Jesus. That's Paul's joy. He's excited about it. Another passage. Chapter 4, verse 4. Here he commands it. This is impressive. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice, so have joy in the Lord always, not sometimes. And again, let me make this command. Rejoice. Paul is an author of teaching us how to live a joyous Christian life in the midst of extreme pain and restriction, even imprisonment. Um, what a message for us. Uh, godly pleasure. How do, you, how do you have godly pleasure? I said in my outline, joy through deductions. As I'm reading this, I'm saying, Paul, how do you get here? You're, you're, you're beyond me. You're, you're beyond most of us. And I think there's, he, he's made a deduction that some of us don't make on a regular basis. And, and, and I'm looking at it, trying to discern it. One of the, the discernments that God's given me is I'm looking, how does Paul command joy in the midst of bad times? I think he makes a deduction that ultimate circumstances are of more value than current circumstances. Think about that. He's you already agree with me. Ultimate circumstances are of more value than current circumstances. If, if it's heaven and hell kind of circumstances, if it's rewards in heaven... Assignment in hell. If, if it gets to ultimate, life for Christ, life for me. Life for Christ is of more value than life for me. And he lives there. He wakes up and has this deduction that if I can do life today for Christ, that is of more value than if I do life like the current world like this stream I'm wading down, it's of more value to do it for Christ than this current life that most people live. And when he gets there, hey, I did this for Christ. It's like, yes, I rejoice. That kind of deduction changes your perspective. He has a pleasure through deductions. Now, I've said several times, let me just show it to you. Paul's in prison. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, that's where he's at, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's in a Roman prison when he's writing this letter 
to the Philippians. He's done nothing wrong. He's in prison because he preaches and teaches Christ. I, I don't know the prison conditions. You can only imagine, I can only imagine, Roman prison in the first century. You know, was it like a condo at the beach? I don't know. I don't guess it was. I don't guess they had, you know, heat and air in the prison. And wonderful three meals a day and all of that. I just imagine it wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't his home. It wasn't a place he got to build. It wasn't a place with his wife and kids. He had restrictions. At times he had a shackle on his leg or hand to a soldier. And he was bound as well as in prison. Then he was just in prison. Then he had freedom to invite people into prison so he could preach to them. The circumstances changed, but it was always prison. Okay? And as you think about that, he's in prison, and yet he's talking about joy. In a letter of four chapters, and he's speaking about it 16 times. Over in verse 13, same chapter, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see the deduction? I'm in prison, and there's guards around me. There's this Roman imperial group of men who come and make sure I'm in my jail cell. And they treat me the way they want to treat me. And it has become known to all of them. Not some. All of them know that I'm here for Christ. Wow. I'm here to preach Christ. I'm here to teach Christ. I'm here because of Christ. And I'll stay here or get delivered from here because of Christ. He had this perspective that gave him joy. It, the life I am living, it's for Christ. That's good enough to rejoice and have joy in it. Um, what's the application for you and me? Do you wake up living for yourself? Or do you wake up living for Christ? You know, I wake up having to go to the bathroom, right? That's living for me. Okay? What's next? Where do you switch gears and say, I'm not going to live today for me. And I'm going to live for Christ. Somehow Paul woke up and he was living for Christ. He's got the same needs we've got. But Paul woke up and he was living for Christ. And everybody around him knew he was on this earth for Christ. Wow. And so when he got Christ, he got joy. And no matter his circumstances, he had joy. We are in a world where people are craving joy. Craving happiness. They are looking for love in all the wrong places. And Paul's got it. The book of Philippians has got it. I want us to get some of that so that we get the joy that Paul's got. And I don't think we can get it without getting 
the deductions that Paul has. He gets joy, I think, through deducing what's the value in living and coming to the right conclusion. Second, I want you to see, he gets joy through doctrine. Joe talked about doctrine a minute ago and the significance of it. Um, there's, when, I, when I was memorizing just verses of Scripture here and there through a navigator's um, memory, Bible memory program, Seems like Philippians had many more of those uh, Bible memory verses than other books. Philippians is a book filled with doctrine, and it, I think it's, it's typically in the shadow of Romans because Romans is a bigger book. But Philippians is packed in a tighter way, in my opinion, with doctrine. Let's look at some of that. Just think about the doctrine in this book. Chapter 1, verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. By the way, if, you, if y'all see me squinting, especially as I'm doing... I got this Bible that has the verses in really, really, really small. The verse numbers in the midst of the sentence. If any of y'all are translators and you can translate me a Bible where the verses is just right down the left column, I would love that. I know it exists, but it exists in versions that are too big. It's big, thick things. But I'd love it here. I, I, I still have a hard time finding my verses. Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Think of the doctrine in that. The doctrine of living, the doctrine of dying, the doctrine of hell, heaven and hell the doctrine of sanctification. There's, there's much in this passage of Scripture uh, that we want to memorize. Hey, that's pretty significant. To live as Christ, to die is, is not worse. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I heard somebody got, oh, you're, you're okay? Oh, oh, good, yeah, it's better than the alternative. Paul says, no, it's not better than the alternative. The alternative is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We don't have that doctrine in our heads. Because we go along with that phrase, what's better than an alternative? No, it's not. To live is Christ. To die is gain. That's a doctrine that Paul holds to. That strengthens him for joy. It should strengthen us. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him. Boy, I can't wait to get here and preach this first. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Think about the doctrine there that we don't really wrestle with and embrace. The doctrine of sharing. When do you wake up and say, God, I want to share in your sufferings today? Has anybody in this room prayed that prayer? Paul says, I can't wait to share in your sufferings. Because I want to know the power of your resurrection. I have to have the sufferings of the crucifixion to experience the power of the resurrection. He says, I want to know that. That would be awesome. Becoming like you in death. That I may be like you 
in resurrection. The doctrine of, of dying in Christ, death in Christ, resurrection in Christ, doctrines that are crucial for our grounding in faith and living for Christ. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Here's another one. And I'm just giving you a sample. Chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. Wow. Be content. There's all sorts of therapy classes and counseling classes and anger management classes and whatever. We need a contentment class, right? Where you wake up, say, I need therapy that to get to the place where no matter what my circumstance, I'm content. No matter what, I'm content. I am a child of God, designed by God, walking the path of God. How could I not be content? And yet, Paul's there. I'm not sure the rest of us are there. And then one other verse couple just past that. Chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, let me read 12 to 13. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and I am in every circumstance, and in, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's my verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, people put that verse, I can do all things through him and strengthens me on their eyelids when they're playing football, basketball, baseball. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But they missed the verse before. Paul is talking about being content, not winning games, but being content with having nothing. I'm content when I'm losing. I'm content when I don't have clothes on my back. I'm content when I don't have food on my plate. And because I've been in those circumstances, I have learned I can do all things. I don't need the clothes. I don't need the food. I don't need the perfect circumstances. I can still do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a whole different level than we quote and that we live Paul is being strengthened by doctrine. Biblical truths, foundational words from God for our difficult living. I see doctrine like a structure. Think about a concrete bridge where you've got rebar and concrete form to go across some chasm, it's, it's a creek, it's a river, it's a swamp. But you trust it. You, you walk across it, you drive across it, you trust the structure to give you safety, security, comfort. It's, it's a strong, steady structure. I think doctrine is that way. When we learn the doctrines that God wants to teach us, it gets us across the difficult paths in life. And, and we, we learn to say, I can trust that. I'm secure in that. 
I have learned this doctrine, God is sovereign. I've learned this doctrine, God cares about me. I've learned this doctrine that I have power in death and in resurrection. And, and so I can walk this path with comfort and with security, with a feeling of peace and well-being. I'm going to be okay because I'm trusting a structure God's given me. And it's a doctrinal structure. Paul was there. It's through those deductions, it's through that doctrine that he has joy. And if we're going to have that joy, and I want us to have it, as we read the 16 times he brings it up, I want you to just keep thinking, so what do I need to deduce? What's the foundational doctrine I need to stand on that gives me the joy that Paul is speaking about. Embrace it. And it's just going to produce a joyous significance in your life. All right, second, let's move to godly perspectives. There's this pleasure. There's perspectives that God has. Uh, And what I'm doing is I'm moving from the letter as a whole to now the leader. And then I want to finish up looking at the listeners just briefly. But We've looked at the letter. It's, it's a huge letter that has deductions about joy. It has doctrine that's going to excite us. Um, it's got perspectives. A perspective on circumstances and a perspective on Christ. First of all, this perspective on circumstances. Look at the book of Acts with me. Chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 11 to 16. This is the last chapter of Acts. Paul's arriving at Rome, and it tells us his circumstances. Chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 11, Acts. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria and the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and there, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regidum. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petolio. Uh, there we found brothers, so Christians, he's, he's found some fellowship, and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, more fellowship, when, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Epiphus and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. And we came into Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now pick up the last two verses of the book. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Such an unbelievable set of circumstances to me to kind of finish up your life that way. I mean, we don't know much past this for Paul. But he's he's sent on a boat to Rome. He's put in prison. He's got a guard that's guarded him. He has to stay in this house. They're bringing him food and drink, enough to stay alive at least. We don't know how much. 
And then they allow people to come. You know, if, if I were locked in my house, how many of you would ever show up? I don't know. But people just keep showing up. The Spirit moves people to go to Paul. He didn't go anywhere. They come to him and he preaches and he teaches Christ over and over and over. Uh, he lived for the benefit of others. And it, it, it's interesting in Acts to see his excitement when he's on a boat and they're, they're going somewhere. Oh, there's a Christian. There's a Christian. There's a brother. Let's talk. Most of his life was with non-Christians. He loved the fellowship when he saw a brother. And he got to Rome. Oh, another Christian. I didn't. And Rome, cool. Let's talk. He loved the fellowship. The perspective of that. Think about the joy of being in Christ with others. Reading the same book. Having the same stories. He loved that time together. But he loved preaching Christ. Hey, do you know anybody who's not a Christian? Bring them. Bring them back. Let's sit down and talk. And let's, let's go over the things of God together. And he was doing that over and over for two years. Um, was it worth it? Look at chapter 2, verse 17 of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 17. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. You know, I read it a minute ago. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad I rejoice with you all. Even if this is killing me, I am happy. I am overjoyed that I am getting to do this for Christ. Regardless of age, regardless of station in life, regardless of ability, Paul was happy to preach Christ. As you get older, as you lose ability, as you think nobody cares, nobody's going to see you, you have no value, you have no significance, Paul's a good example. No, 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 it's not done. If we have air to breathe, we can preach Christ, we can proclaim Christ, we can blog Christ, we can Instagram Christ, we can text Christ, we can speak of Christ, we can fellowship in Christ, we can worship Christ. And Paul just goes on and on and on, adding value and significance to his life, even in the worst of circumstances. His circumstances are worse than any of us. So he's, he's below us because he's in prison. He doesn't get to show up face-to-face -to, -face to church. And Paul is having what seems to be the time of his life. His circumstances are turning out for good day after day after day. That's his perspective on his circumstances. Look at his perspective on Christ. Chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul saw himself as a servant of Christ. That's who I am. I serve Christ. I live for Christ. Paul claimed to be sold out for Christ. Now here's something I learned. He mentions joy 16 times. How could I get there? 
to be that happy and joyous in life. Mentions joy 16 times. Guess how many times he mentions Christ in Philippians? A lot. I hear he's nodding. He mentioned Christ 40 times. Four chapters. You do the math. Have you ever written a letter about that length and mentioned Christ 40 times? Have you ever blogged and mentioned Christ 40 times? Ever posted something and mentioned Christ 40 times? I am convinced that one of the reasons Paul is so joyful is because he is so full of Jesus. He can't speak and not talk Jesus. He can't write a paragraph and not speak about Jesus. He's just so full of Jesus. He's got to be happy. He's got to be joyful. If we're going to get where he is, joyful in our circumstances, joyful in our surroundings, joyful in whatever, we have got to see the need for more and more of Jesus. And Paul was there. He was full of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Wow. That's powerful, isn't it? Put anything I've got on the table. Let me swipe it away. I count it as loss. Just give me Jesus. He had already lost his car. He had lost his cell phone. He had lost his house. He had lost his boat ride. He had lost the cruise in the Mediterranean. He was cruising the Greek Isles. That's what y'all want to do, right? Lost all of that. And says, guys, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. It's, it's not on par with joy in Christ. It's rubbish compared to Christ. Rubbish. Dung. Man, being full of Christ changes everything. And that's where Paul was. His perspective on Christ is just, it's so beyond us. Have you ever talked to somebody and said, hey, can you tell me about John Doe? Oh, yeah, he's full of himself. We heard that phrase. He's full of himself. You full of yourself? Paul was full of Jesus. When have we heard that? You ever, can you tell me about John? Oh yeah, he's full of Jesus. Never met anybody more full of Christ. 
than that person. What a testimony. That's Paul's testimony. As God explains it and throws it at us in this book. You know, there's times when I can be full of what I'm doing, full of golfing, full of fishing, full of preaching, full of... But am I full of Jesus? It's a whole different level. Paul was full of Christ. And he said, and, and the, as full as he was, he said, I can't get enough. Can't get enough. Everything that you give me, it's, it's rubbish compared to being full of Christ. Um, quick perspective, my favorite psalm I've said before, Psalm 16, verse 11, maybe is a good place just to throw this in. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm not talking doctrine here. I'm talking experience. Paul experienced it. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, around and within reach of Christ, are pleasures forevermore. And when we get ourselves into that spot, into the presence of Christ, in His reach is more pleasures than this world has to offer. And yet we pursue the world, don't we? Wow, how foolish is that? Paul doesn't. Paul gets it. I want us to get it a little more than where we've been. So we've seen his pleasure. We've seen his perspective. Let's look at his pursuit. What is he pursuing that, that gets him there? As I look at the recipients of Philippi and what they're pursuing with Paul together and he's writing about, Philippi starts with some good people. You know the story of the Philippian jailer and this Philippian woman named Lydia? Look at that with me briefly and let's see how we get from where they are to where they're going. Look at Acts 16. Acts chapter 16 Beginning at verse 9. Acts 16, verse 9. We pick up the Paul getting to Philippi and meets a woman. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, including what, uh, in concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Now, Philippi is a major city, major city of Macedonia. Verse um, 11, I'll keep going. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed to Uh, There was a place of prayer, and we sat down, and we spoke to the women who had come together. Now, these aren't Christians yet, but they're God-fearers. They're coming out to pray to God. They don't know of Christ. They're good people, good-centered people, God-fearing people. We know a lot of those being in the South. Verse 14 One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. There's Christianity. There's regeneration. Christ changing Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So you're saved by faith. Faith in what? In the word of God. Paul's preaching the word of God. God is opening Lydia's heart. Verse 15, and after she was baptized, so she becomes a believer, she's baptized in her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So when Paul shows up to Philippi, the first convert that we hear about is Lydia, a woman. And Lydia sold purple uh, fabric, which was the expensive stuff, the high-end stuff, uh, she probably made good profit, was well off, and she has a house, and says she's from Thyatira, but she's here in Philippi, maybe she has multiple homes, she's a wealthy woman, she's got not only a house, but she's got a place with enough accommodations to have visitors, I got room, come to my house, I got room and food. And God saves Lydia to invite Paul and his companions into their house. And he speaks. But I want you to see the transformation from good-centered to God-centered. As soon as she was converted, she wants to serve Christ. You're a preacher of Christ. You have companions in Christ. We need you here. Stay with us. Let us feed you. And you keep this thing going. And the ministry of Christ and the church at Philippi grows up. And we're going to study the letter of Philippians, which rises up from this occasion. Well, she's not the only one. Uh, There was another person that uh, Paul shares with us, the conversion story, and that's the jailer. Still in Acts 16, skip over to verse 23. Uh, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, so Paul and his companions get beat, slashed, whipped. They threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received the order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So this was a man doing his job to the next level. You want me to... To make sure these people stay in jail. Puts them in the inner prison. Let's get them as deep, as dark as we can get them. They're already in jail. Let's still chain them up. So he puts them in jail and chains them up. And 
you know the story. Verse 25, And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. That's an honorable thing in his day, because the Roman law was, if you don't do your job, we're going to kill you, okay? And he knew that. If he let the prisoners escape, and if they were worthy of death, then they'd just kill him as a substitute. He knew that was going to happen, that prisoners were going to go free, and he was going to die anyway. He said, I didn't do my job, I'm going to kill myself. That's what was happening. But, verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice. So this is dark, you know, in prison. Do not harm yourself. He said, I know that's what you're going to do, but don't do it. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the story goes on. A good man becomes a God man. And he's saved and he's transformed. And the church in Philippi began to, pers- to grow. What's my point? Small book, takes me a long time to get through it. The point is, are you pursuing a good life? And you know the counter. What's keeping us from pursuing a God-centered life. I don't want the testimony. Oh, he was a good man. He was a good man. Oh, yeah, he was a good man. I don't, I don't really want that. I want the testimony. He was all for Christ. He was God-centered. He lived for Christ. He loved Christ. He provided for the church of Christ. He built the church of Christ. See, that was Lydia. That was the jailer. We don't even know the jailer's name. He's just known as the Philippian jailer. But when he was saved, he wanted to live for Christ. What must I do to be saved from this good life, this good job, this good living? What must I do to be in Christ? That's what he wanted. That's what Paul was preaching and teaching the Philippians. Pursuing a God-centered life and not just a good-centered. Let me jump ahead. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How about that? Paul says, I'm writing to you Philippians. Because you partnered with me from the first day. Who? Lydia? Philippian jailer? Y'all were saved on the first day. I stepped into ministry. And you were my partners from then to now. What a legacy. What a life to give ourselves to more than us. To Christ and His church. Lydia... The Philippian jailer has that. Um, What does Paul think of that? Chapter 4, Philippians, 
verse 18, Philippians 4, verse 18 says, I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says, I'm in prison, but those Philippians never forgot me. They never sent, they never stopped sending me gifts, sending me what I need. And I just want to remind you that's good and acceptable to God. God sees that, and God is pleased with that, and it matters. Paul thinks a lot of the Philippians. He thinks and speaks of them as well-pleasing, God-centered, well-pleasing to God, not just to one another. Well, can I give you a challenge as we go through the book of Philippians? It, I've practiced it. it. It takes me about 15 minutes to read the book, Philippians, four chapters, Okay. I challenge you, read the book of Philippians this week. If you want to do it in four days, about five minutes a chapter, okay? You can read the book of Philippians. If you're dating, take the next four days and read a chapter together and pray through what's there. If you're doing family devotions or not, take, take the next four days, do family devotions. Five minutes. Let the words of this message come to you as you go through this book. I challenge you, look for pleasure. Look for perspective. Look for God teaching and directing you on what you need to pursue next, your pursuits. Let the book of Philippians start transforming you to be full of Christ like Paul was full of Christ, and then to be filled with joy because at Christ's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much of depth in such a small portion of your word. Let us go deep. Let us be refreshed week after week. Let us be transformed. Let us not have to be in a prison cell and wait to the last two years of our life to get it. Father, let us get it now. Let us get what you have for us in this powerful portion of your word. Teach and direct us that we may be full of Jesus more and more and more. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.